This is The Saga Continues, a companion podcast to the Hulu's original series, Wu-Tang, an American Saga. Hey, it's King Tech, your host. In this episode, I'm talking to King Crooked, my homie, about his unique perspective on the eras of rap and rhyme styles, what he went through, what he saw, what he knows. Hear about Crooked's contribution to the rap battle scene in episode three, all in together now. You can catch up with the show anytime on Hulu. This is The Saga Continues, where we discuss everything that happened. Wu-Tang, American Saga, now streaming on Hulu. I'm your host, King Tech, and today my guest is the one and only, the legendary. I don't have the drum roll, bro. I'm just going to bang the table. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. King Crooked. What's up, what man? Up, what up, doing, what man? up, what up, what up, what up, man? How are you, man? I'm great. I'm blessed, man. So, so you know, you're a part of this whole series that's going down. A lot of people don't know. Yeah, um, they don't know that. A lot of people don't know that, so we're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, <laughs> what happened is I got a call from my brother Rizzo and said, Tech, I need some help on some of the episodes here, man. Um, there's a lot of scenes that are taking place mm-hmm. uh, back in the early 90s. And I, and he said, do you know anybody that, that has you know, uh, ver- the versatility to be able to change from today's rhyme style to 2000 to the 90s to the 80s or whatever you need? In my opinion, you need someone that knows the history of hip-hop in order right. to do that. Like, you have to actually enjoy listening to a Big Daddy King Raw and saying, man, this dude was ahead of his time. He was incredible. And then Coogee rap and saying, damn, he was maybe a little bit more incredible. Then Rakim, a little bit, maybe a little bit more incredible, you know? <laughs> it's a debate, man. It's a debate. It's a debate, <laughs> yeah. So what I love about uh, Crooked Eye, a.k.a. King Crooked, is someone who's been through the times and it became, to me, it felt like, you're kind of a student of hip-hop in a sense, right? Because we saw your progress during the wake-up show years when Sway and I did the radio show together. Every time you came up, you were a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. Thanks, man. So anyway, going back to what Rizzo wanted, I said, man, I think the perfect guy to help write a few rhymes for some of the actors or some of the scenes is uh, King Crooked, man, because I can't think of anyone better that would know what to do when it came to say, hey, Crook, we need something 1990s. And you're like, okay, 1990s when, what's his name? Nas just came out. So the style was like this and it went like this. So on episode 103, there's a, um, it's funny, but there's a rap competition. Right. And I know I gave you the craziest, craziest call one night and I said, hey, man, I need you to write a party rap over Chub Rock's. Treat him right. Yeah. And he was like, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> what does this got to do with Wu-Tang? I'm like, I don't know, man. It's one of the scenes. Um, so first of all, now that you've seen it, what do you think? How do you think it turned out? I think it's amazing, man. Uh, you know, RZA's a genius. You know what I'm saying? And it's really dope to see how his um, mind was working before Wu-Tang came about, you know what I mean, all the way. And to see, you know, what inspired him, what motivated him, the things he was going through, um, I just think it's really dope. I think the fans, the diehard Wu-Tang fans, and, and just, you know, everybody, because Wu-Tang is, is global, um, I just think that they're going to really enjoy this piece because they did such a great job. It's interesting, man. Like, you, one episode goes off and you're like, yo, I got to listen and see what's going on on the next episode. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, it really draws you in. You know what I mean? So I, I just, I think that they got something. They have something, you know, right. and... uh I think people are going to enjoy it, bro. And, and and seeing the guys up there on stage, you know what I'm saying, doing the doing the performance of the lyrics that I wrote was crazy. You know what I mean? Hey, I know you didn't uh, say it in Jamaican. Like you didn't say it in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah, do you those, remember the rhymes? It was, those schools <laughs> were like, yeah, they was like, yeah, they was like on some. There was Rasta a dance hall kind of. Rap. Well, this will happen. This will happen. So when you first wrote it, it was uh, how does it go, man? Uh, go, do you remember the rap? Uh, what? <laughs> 
I just remember uh, pump your fist like this every because yeah, when you said when you was like yo I need you to do it on the Chub Rock thing I was like okay 90s Chub Rock I start thinking about different you know what I mean um, references right. that we used back in the 90s and you know that people all talked you know hey man knock you out like Mike Tyson you know what I mean right, like, right, like right. every all the 90s stuff and then um, just the just the energy of the 90s you know people trading off rhymes coming in bouncing off of each other right. keeping the party hype crowd participation right, stuff right, you right. know call and response you right. know what I mean so yeah. just all the whole, all the, the, the 90s bag of tricks I just went into the 90s bag of tricks and um, I was assuming that I was doing this for like you know people right. who are just rapping regularly not regularly I would just say you know just some US type flow you know what right. I mean I didn't know that it was gonna be you know some Jamaican cats up there <laughs> But they switched it kind of nice. And they switched it and they pulled it off. You know what right. I mean? And it makes sense with the scene because if it's going to be rigged by a Don Dada, right. you know what I'm right. saying? And that's then, the way you got to do that's it. That's the way you got to do and it. And they killed it as a crew, man. They did. I mean, they killed it, they man. Did. I mean, but let me ask you this, Crook. What part of this series kind of reflects on your own past? Uh, you know, you know man. A lot, a lot of struggles. It. Yeah, a, I was about to a, say. A, a lot you, of it, man. We come from the same same stuff. I mean, when you're in the inner city, man, and you're living, you know, in poverty, on welfare, you know, or, you know, Section 8 housing and, you know, government assistance and all the poor stuff, you know what I mean? Um, you're going to have crime. You're going to have drugs. You're going to have gangs. You're going to have shootings. You're going to have, you know, fights. This is This is what, you know, those types of ingredients, they, they, they bake that kind of cake. You feel me? Right. So it's like, yo, um, you know, we man, we did it all, bro. We 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 hustled so we can get studio time because we were poor, we broke, we didn't have no money. So we did, you know, things in the streets to to to, to you know pay for studio time. We uh, you know, um, everything, dog. Like really, just having an older brother. I had an older brother that was, you know, in the game. You know what I mean? When I was young, you know what I'm saying, and watching him, you know drop out of school, sell dope, you know what I mean, and mm -hmm. do all that kind of stuff, you know, pat, pat trickle down to me and my little brothers, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, a lot of it, it's, it's, it's like very interesting to see it from a Staten Island point of view, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because I'm coming from a West Coast point of view, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, but it's just the similarities, man. It's, it's having a dream and living in a place where you got to try to figure your way out the maze. And right. if you can get out of the maze, you'll be successful, you know? And there's a lot of obstacles there for you. There's police, there's, there's enemies, there's people around the corner that want to kill you just because you're wearing a certain color. There's, you know drugs there's prostitution it's it's just a it's a it's a melting pot of of confusion and the only light at the end of the tunnel is your dream you know what i'm saying right. and, and and i think that's what we share in common across you know that's the common thread in hip-hop period yeah. you know hip-hop yeah. changed the economy in the ghetto and right. it changed the way it looks it painted a different picture for the ghetto, man, and it was just—it's always dope to see people, you know, overcome their struggles. It's inspirational. You know, in, uh, in episode one hundred two, Cressy kills Josh's son to get his gold chain back. Um, let me ask you something, man. Has has anything ever happened like that to you, where you had a homie that you guys were like super tight? I know Nas has like ill will tattooed on his arm. Right. Um, do you ever have flashback moments of stuff that happened in Long Beach? Like, like this was the homie, he was here yesterday, and he's very talented, oh, yeah. and, and something like that happened? Yes, sir, man. Um, plenty of friends. We see too much death, you know. Uh, my childhood elementary friends, Cookie, one of my homies, Cookie, man, he, he was murdered, you know what I'm saying? Um, BJ was murdered, um, you know. The list... It just goes on. I got cousins, you know what I mean, who were killed. Um, it just goes on and on. And then even when I was start, I thought that I was getting out of that environment and getting into the record business. I went to death row, and um, I mean, psh, dude, it was like four or five people that we were in the studio with every day, having fun, drinking, making records with, you know, being killed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you know, it was we seen a lot of it. You know what I mean? We right. seen a lot of it, and uh, you know I could definitely. Um, so, feel so, so you were, you were around during the Suge Knight days, right? Yeah. What's the craziest thing you saw happen 
while you were there, like that you can legally say. <laughs> I know, right? That's, I guess, that's, I mean, that's the reason why I don't think, you know, we're going to have well, a, give me the, a, a give me docu-series the, no yeah. time soon. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to find some bodies. They're like, wait a minute. Like, what up. happened to that dude? <laughs> Dig up that swimming pool, bro. Something's under there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying on a, on a day-to-day basis, there was so many rumors yeah, that this dude was like shit. crazy. Well, it's not even just him. It's the world, the universe, and the energy that's around Death Row. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's not. But it's, was it created by Suge, man? I mean, well, let's I just mean, say Babyface baby ran. Um, Death, Death Row, Row would it be the same? Would it be the yeah? I was gonna say, would it be a, the same I don't universe? Think, I don't think it would be. I think that I think one thing about Suge was he liked to stay close to the action because he felt like that was what made the label. You know, I mean, you know, once once Snoop caught the murder case, you know what I'm saying, and and the news coverage on that. Was mm. was bigger than anything that you can do with a marketing plan, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. And I think that he was like, "Well, hey, I see what's going. This is, you know, you keep controversy surrounding these releases, right? You know, and we'll be able to, you know, keep selling millions and millions of records. Um, but um, you know, that's just my perspective of of what I saw over there. You know what I mean? But it was always brawls, fights, you know, gunplay. Right, everything you could think about, you but know, you don't have one I, crazy moment like uh, not that I'm gonna talk about, but oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just t- it, the whole thing was a crazy moment. Tech, the whole thing was every day was something crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, just put it this way: I pulled the fir- when I first started over there, I pulled up, went to the, to, to the office, and you know, I just kept, I had a bulletproof vest on because we were going somewhere. And, you know, they were looking at me and laughing like, yo, you know, man, you wearing a bulletproof vest. I had a P89 Ruger. That was my favorite gun in a 38. And um, and I had my bulletproof vest on. They're laughing at me. Everybody was, you know, the goons. Right. And they're like, yo, you sh- when it's your time, it's your time. <laughs> okay. Trap phone jumping. Hold on. Hold on, y'all. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I guess they, they don't talk about that. Oh, yeah, damn. Oh, damn. Oh, <laughs> see, see what I'm saying? He, the man is locked up and calling. Like, yo, Crook, what you doing? <laughs> no, no. Go ahead. So what happened? What are you at I mean, best? it wasn't nothing crazy, but it was just the fact that they would be like, yo, when it's your time, it's your time. So it don't even matter if you got a vest or not, right? And then the people who told me that mm. are gone now, and I'm here. So they wasn't right about this. I don't, I don't, I don't, that, that, that was that wasn't the best <laughs> advice. But um, you know, other than that, bro, it's just it was a crazy time over there. But I grew up in a lot of madness. Like when I was like 14, 15, my brother got shot right next to me. You know what I'm saying? So I grew up in a lot of traumatization that um, you know, and, and that we kind of like just bottle up because you know, in the hood and you you're taught to man up. You're not taught to deal with your problems. Yeah. So we walk around with all this PTSD, you mm-hmm. know, hearing a car backfire and jumping out your skin because you've been shot at so many times and yeah. shit like that. Right. And not understanding that we got problems, we got mental issues that we need to, you know, resolve, man. But music was one of the greatest uh, medicines for me. So, you know what I mean? Kind of like RZA in there. You see how when you're watching a show, he, whenever he's starting to think about bad things and negative things, he puts his headphones back on. Right. You know what I'm saying, right, right. and that, and and that's because music is medicine, bro. Just flat out. Now, when you first signed Death Row, I remember the early days. They were so impressed by you lyrically right. that they wanted you to battle everybody. Exactly. I remember them days where where you tell me a story. You landed in New York. They were just throwing you in ciphers. Oh my God, bro! Like, what was that like, man? Just to land in New York and be like, "Cook." I mean, was your salary on the line with these battles? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you, you don't might, battle, you don't eat. You know, yeah, like, hey man, because I, I first crazy. Um, I heard a, a, a. I was with RBX one time, and he said they were at a show and Snoop. Put two, after the show, Snoop put too much chicken on his plate, mm-hmm. and Shook went up to him and smacked him, pushed him. It was like, "Nah, you don't eat twice." Like some, and this is Snoop, the yeah. the most famous dude at the time. Right. So RBX, I think, was his cousin, his yeah. homie. Was like, "Nah, Shook, this ain't cool." Went outside and they they really had it. He told me this crazy story. Yeah. Right. So I really think like Shook is kind of like. Hey, Crook, you don't win these battles, bro. I don't know if you're gonna catch a flight back. <laughs> did you did you feel any pressure to be like the guy? Because this is after Pac. Yeah. After Dre is gone. Right. Was Corrupt gone? Corrupt left for a second and then he came back. Um, so they really had no heavy hitters. Yeah. yeah, they didn't, man. I mean, Suge thought that he could rebuild the label 
you know, you just through you, through me. Yeah. Didn't you go to Jimmy Kimmel with him? I went to Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel with him. I, I did a whole, I did a whole, yeah. I went the infamous Jimmy Kimmel episode. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So what? Tell me about those battles. What happened? Um, basically, dog. He just said, you know, he, listen, man. I know a totally different Suge than everybody knows. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like I haven't ever had no problems with Suge. You know what I mean? Like so, when he asked you to battle anybody on the street, what was your but, reaction? But, but this is what he was doing, though. He would tell them if you want a record deal or you want me to, you know, take a meeting with you and your team for a record deal, you got to get through Crooked. If your artist can't get through Crooked, I'm not sitting with you. So what would happen was all these guys would come and after I, you know, do what I do, they would be mad at me like, yo, you're stopping my progress. You're in my way. You, you messing up my dream. You know what I'm saying? Because they would come at me with everything that they had. You know what I mean? And then we just, I was, man, in prime condition back then, lyrically. I still am. But right. back then it was just like, you know, you, 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 I you lived in a matrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lived in a matrix. It was like anytime it do step up, okay, we're going to dismantle you, dismantle you. And, you know, they would get really mad. And one guy, you know, he was really threatening. He was like, yo, I killed this motherfucker. Well, he went crazy, you know what I'm saying? Because he, he got beat and he felt like I took his opportunity away, you know what I mean? But, and it's just, I mean, that's how it was, bro. See, Rick, the way we would have did it, I would have said, Crook, man, today I want your weakest rhyme. I'm about to jump in, <laughs> right, so I can get a deal, and then you can help Ghost write my album, right? And then Shook would have been like, damn, Crook, <laughs> how did this dude beat you, how man? How this dude get in? <laughs> Be like, hey, man, we had a plan. We had a plan, man. Yeah, nah, man. I mean, we were in New York, dog. We was part in the Red Sea, bro. Like, you ever walk through a crowded nightclub? That's how it was at, at, the, um, at the radio station because they knew Shook was in town, and Suge told everybody live on the air, yeah, you can't see my people. I got the best rappers and things of that nature. So when we got downstairs and went outside uh, Hot 97, it was a crowd out there, dog. And I just had to go through the whole crowd. That was like, I've never rapped so much in my life. Like mm. one person after the next person mm. after the next oh person. And it was kind of like- that's real? Yeah, it was kind of like that scene in The Matrix where Neo is just kicking everybody's ass, dog. It was just like that. Like I felt like I had a black belt when I got finished. I jumped inside the fucking the, the, the car service and just kind of laid out against the window like, damn, that shit was crazy. And it was just dudes coming up to me. Yo, my name is such and such. I put the brother, brother, you ain't shit. Another clip unloaded, singed head exploded. Right. Oh, you was just going back and right. it was like, man, jumped in the car like, wow. And I said, I hit corrupt up and I was like, yo, bro, that must be what you were talking about on that song when you said the night I served 2000 MCs. And he, I was like, where'd that line come from? And he's like, oh yeah, Suge. Suge did me just like that before too. He was like, it was a whole bunch of dudes trying to battle me, and I had to battle all of them. He said, that's where that line comes from, the night I served 2,000 MCs. <laughs> that sounds crazy, dude. Hey, man, we paid our dues, bro. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. I wish some of these new rappers would have to go through that. We wouldn't have to listen to all this <laughs> crap right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story, man. My boy was like... You know, works at, a, at the biggest company in the world. We'll just leave it at that. It's, it's Exxon, and then that's that, you know? Yeah. And the dude said, you know, we were going to give a, a brand new rapper like a, a documentary or a movie deal. So we sat down with him. We was like, oh, man, you, you know, you sold millions of records. So tell me about the guy that backed you, the neighborhood, how you grew up, you know, then who was the producer you met? The guy was like, what, what, are, you, what are you guys talking about? You know, like your story, man. How are we gonna, you know, we got. Uh, my mom got me a laptop, and I was just good at like downloading beats, and then I made these hit records. Wow. <laughs> so there's no documentary there, man. There's no documentary. It'll be a two minute. <laughs> you see, so this is how it's gonna look, man. We're gonna put, you know, follow her into the man. store, Best Buy. Best she buy. buys a laptop. Comes in, the kid opens it up, instant, instant hits. That's uh, a 30-second commercial for Best Buy. <laughs> That's a Best Buy ad, man. That ain't a documentary. <laughs> no, you know why, man? Because uh, you being from that era, I, I, I was at the Source Awards when all that shit went down. Right, right. And I remember, man, we did a Pac interview, and 
he was anti everybody East Coast, technically right. in a sense, except Wu Tang. Mm. Why do you think he gave Wu Tang a pass? And it's documented, by the right, way. It's right. the audios. Have you guys heard that audio before? Oh, I gotta get you that audio. It's a, it's well, he probably tape. he probably really respected them dudes. You know what I'm saying? Like they rode deep, and and they showed loyalty. You know what I mean? And and the things that they talk about in their music, you can feel. You know what I mean? Um, it took me a minute to get all the way on Wu Tang like I wanted to. I was always a RZA fan because I'm a fan of technical rapping. That's mm. the first thing I listen for. So if somebody is very technical with the rhyming then I automatically start listening to their music. Um, and so I was a fan, but it took me a little bit, you know, to get on to Wu-Tang. And when you once, say a little bit, like, give me give me the time. Uh, like, what? You know, I'm usually on something before the crowd. You know what I'm saying? You know but I, I got could, on was, to Wu-Tang with the crowd, kind of. Exactly. So you somebody know brought saying? it to you over and over. Yeah, huh? yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's exactly what happened to me, because at that time in 91, 92, 93, the sound was Dr. Dre, right. Above the Ram, Tupac, Nas is coming. And my cousin brought me the tape. He was like, man, have you listened to this shit? We just got it in the mail. You know, he's yeah. DJs on radio. So, And it was dirty. It was, it was dirty. dirty. Yeah. And I was like, man, what, did he do it? Is this a demo? What is right, this? Right, right. And then my cousin, Prince Ice, man, shout out to him, kept banging it every day, every day, every day. So one day I said, man, let me tune out the dirtiness of this thing because yeah. we thought Dre's quality was just the best. Yeah, the crystal clear. Right. Yeah. And then we started to listen to it. And then when it hit me was when I started to go through my record collection and hear the samples, that the records that I had that I had never sampled the same pieces that this guy was sampling. Right, right, right. And that's when it hit me. I'm like, like, well, he oh, took the, this thing that, oh, man, I have this record. I have this. So he that's found when a I, jewel on here. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know what? As a producer, as an MC, you know when you've been beaten to the punch, right? Right, right, right. As a producer, you know when you've been beaten. Because you're like, man, I had the same record. Yeah. But I didn't sample what he's sampling. Exactly. And, and then um, I had the privilege on working on Seven Chamber, which is one of his earliest records, he gave me the Pro 2 files, like, Tech, can you fix this for, you know, this episode, whatever. And then I got to go through the session, man, and I was like, bro, snares in and out of time. Things right. come in, going out. You're right. like, I don't know if this was just like he was just too ahead of his time. You know right. what I'm saying? So that's right. why I took people to kind of go, right. hey, dude, this dude is like way out there, man. Yeah. And then to be fortunate enough to be around some of the most talented MCs without them being MCs. Because when you watch the episodes, you realize they weren't MCs. Right, right, right. He was just like, hey, bro, you rap pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you should probably put on, get on this record. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So organic, though. That's yeah. organic. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, I, I felt like that was similar to what was going on in uh, Straight Outta Compton, the movie. You know what I'm saying? Explain that. What do you mean? When, when, when Easy E, when he's like, yo, Easy, you got the voice, you go in there. And he's like, I ain't going in there. And right. You know what I'm saying? He's right. like, nah, you take your ass in there. You don't listen, you you living that life, go in there and rap yeah. about it. You know what I mean? It's right. like, right. it just, you know, when you, you know how it is, music, it, it attracts certain people. You know, some people love it and they don't want to make it. You know, they are, they have no bit, uh, no no mindset to make music or be in the business, but they love music. Right. So you attract these audiences and crowds of people in these labs and studios and just in your life and in your universe. And uh, you know, some of them like kick a freestyle around you before. You're like, hey man, wait a minute, you sound pretty good, bro. Like you know right, what I'm right, saying? Right. And then boom, now they go in the booth and become somebody crazy. You know what I mean? So right. right. It was it, it was dope though. I, I like to see that. I, I I always wondered how they came together. So what was your first Wu-Tang artist or record that really caught your attention? What was it? If you, can you go back uh, to a record or a place you were at? at that? It, I'll tell you, man, I was at the, was it the Fever in the South Bronx, man, when it was still kind of this like hip-hop nightclub, and they right. threw on M-E-T-H-O-D, man. Dude, right. the place went nuts. And we right. was out of Cali, you know, just right. visiting, so we were like, the record was still new to us. Right. And then we just caught the vibe, and then that's when the whole thing kind of hit, like the dirtiness of it, right. the flow that this dude had. What so what was it for you? It was the same record. Um, my homeboy Underdog in Long Beach and my homeboy Sabotage. Them two dudes right there, they rhyme themselves. They're from the north side. 
I'm from the east side. They used to come down to the east side. We had a bookstore. My homeboy Elijah owned a bookstore called Uhuru Sasa, which means freedom now in Swahili. So my homie was trying to have the bookstore in the middle of the hood to give knowledge itself to the community. Mm -hmm. And he would have these events where we'd be freestyling and doing ciphers and just, you know, trying to keep us off the streets. And two of the homies from the north side, Sabotage and Underdog, came with that Wu-Tang tape, you know, and then we listened to all this gangster rap. And they came in and hit the uh, M-E-T-H-O-D, man. Hey, you, get off my... And we like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, and... We didn't like this Wu Tang, you know what I'm saying? And even even the name sounded like different, you know what I mean? Like Wu Tang, but see, I'm into anime since Ninja Scrolls, and I'm into you know karate movies since Bruce Lee flicks. You feel me? So when they said Wu Tang and Shaolin, I already knew what that was all about. So I was like, oh okay, Wu Tang Shaolin, all right, cool, boom. And little after that, you know, when they started really blowing Wu Tang. They um, actually went to the north side and um, recruited a couple of guys. RZA allowed um, a few of the north side rhymers to um, be a part of uh, his, you know, affiliates. You know what what I'm saying? Um, They had the dark, the black, the black Black knights, Knights, I think, and a couple of dudes. I knew those dudes too, man. Um, And they were doing stuff with with Wu Tang right out of Long Beach. Right? That's crazy. Right out of Long Beach. Yeah, Yeah, it was crazy, man. Rizzo's got love like that, man. I mean, I I talked to him one time. He was like, "Yeah, man, you uh, you know about my Australian chapters?" I was like, "Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Australian chapters." He was like, "Yeah, man." when I was performing out there, I met like, you know, dope MCs in every stop. So we're going to do Australia. I was like, dude, man, come yeah, on. Dude, yeah. But uh, uh, another question I got for you. You actually worked with uh, on a song with Ghostface, Buckingham right. Palace. Yes, sir. So talk about that, man. Somebody you heard about 15, 20 years ago, and all right. of a sudden they're calling you up like, you want to jump on this record with me? Yeah, man. Um, Buckingham Palace, you know what I'm saying? My homeboy, M80. He uh he does a lot of work with Wu Tang, you know what I mean? And he was like, "Yo, Ghost, want you to get on this record?" And I was like, "All right, cool." Cause I had um I had actually did a a, a yacht a yacht party in Chicago with Ghost. It was me and Ghost, Tretch, um, Black Sheep. You know what I'm saying? Drez was there? Yeah, Drez was there. That's one of my favorite dudes. Shout out to Drez, man. (laughs) I think he's one of the most underrated dudes ever, man, because the record blew up so fast. Right. They um they never got their second deal. The second album didn't come out till like two, three years later, and that the sound had completely changed. So I always Uh felt like Drez kind of came and went in a sense with his style. But go ahead, man. I'm sorry. No, Drez is the man. I, I I was, man, you know, I love Hip hop is in our veins, so you know, getting booked for for an event like that, you know, I'm all in. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So you know, I chop it with Ghost. With you know, every time I see Ghost, it's all good. So you know, the Buckingham Palace joint. What made that joint special to me is that it had two other young guns on there who are making super noise now, and that's Thirty Eight Special and Benny the Butcher. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and those dudes right now are really, really holding it down for New York hip-hop. So it's a real dope thing that, you know, you got the West Coast in the building, you got the OG from from the East, Ghostface, and you got the two new young guns that everybody talking about now on the same record. You know, right. it's a dope record. But, uh, yeah, dog, you know, I've been blessed, Tech. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I've been blessed to to, to, to everybody that I, that I looked up to musically and, and I've, I've, I've worked with. You know what I mean? Everybody, when I was a kid, hanging posters on the wall, I've worked with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I recognize that blessing. I don't, I don't let that pass me by, you know? We got in trouble one time. What's that? When we said, I don't know if you remember, man, we went on the radio and I said, I think... Crook can beat Jay-Z Oh, <laughs> on Power 106 out here, man, the West Coast. Next time I saw Jay-Z on some red carpet, man, he was looking at Sway, he looked at me, he was like, this dude, man, what, 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 what's your problem? Hey, <laughs> and I was like... Tech said he gonna hold it down for the home team. <laughs> I was like, yo, man, because at that time, I, I really believed, I mean, like I said, man, what I was hearing you spit, the, the, the world wasn't right. privy to. You know, I'm like, right. damn, this dude is like, you spin like this regularly? 
He's like, yeah, man, I can go like this for two hours. <laughs> and I felt like not, it wasn't even disrespect to Jay-Z. It was right. just like that That we felt like, um, and I felt like the way Jay got his push back in the game right. was to stretch and Bobby Toes and Big L. Mm. So I'm like, Radio dudes helped him come back. Why right. can't I help my dude? Right, right. I'm right. on radio. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. do what I I do the same thing. So and I appreciate and it, that. It wasn't like some some hate on Jay Z. It was uh. just like I just felt like I had to say something to get the world's attention to how dope you was. Right. At and, I mean at that and time, you guys always you you always held me down. Sway always held me down, dog. It's just it's you know it's those things that keep you going as an artist. Right. Because if nobody holds you down, you might stop. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, the way that you guys always held me down is one of the things that keeps me going, for sure. Well, my other question is, when I look at this, um, the American saga, the Wu-Tang American saga, um, I'm thinking, how does this guy, RZA, deal with so many creative members right. that are not all on the same page? Right. And their drama has been somewhat documented on YouTube and on right. Twitter and on Instagram and yeah. You know, you were recently a part of a super group called Slaughterhouse. And number one, was it hard to be in that type of group creatively? And two, what was the finale that kind of closed the chapter on Slaughterhouse? I think it was easy at first. When we first got together, everybody had so much respect for each other that, you know, each member just respected each member so, so highly that it made everything easy. You know, it's like, oh, you want to do this kind of rap? I don't really do that, but you know what? I know who you are. I know what you've been through, and I respect you. So I'll go in there and do that. You know what I mean? I'll be a team. I play team ball. Mm -hmm. So it was very easy in the beginning, man. Um, and then it started getting a little, you know, rougher, you know, um, as time progressed. But for the most part, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a bad experience creatively, man. Um, there were very minimal disagreements. Um, but, you know, Royce probably did the most work when it came to the group, you know what I'm saying, as far as, uh, as far as, you know, song direction, um, structures of songs, you know, um, format and all that. You know, I did the second amount. I mean, on the first one, we were kind of even. You know, first the first album, me and Royce kind of put our heads together and we kind of just made the direction what it was. And then the second one, it was more so Royce M, you know what I mean? Because that second one came out on Shady. Right. So, but I mean, you know, it was a good experience, man. And we we just passed up the t uh, seven year anniversary of Welcome to Our House, the, the album that came out on Shady and the 10 year anniversary of the one, the self-titled um Slaughterhouse came out, <coughs> right? You know, August 11th. So you know, we it's it's amazing to me because the people still want Slaughterhouse music right now to this day. We haven't dropped an album in seven years, and people want music. If I post on something and they, hey man, when you gonna give us some some music? Um, and we have an entire album um, completed, uh, produced by Just Blaze. So what we did is we went and got a Slaughterhouse of producers. And said, "Hey, we need to get a group of producers that never worked with each other like that um, before, and make them a slaughterhouse of producers." So we went and got Just Blaze, Ill Mind, Justice League, Cardiac, mm -hmm. and all these people, and one dude to make the drums, one dude to play some keys, one dude to get on the guitar. You know what I'm That's saying? Dope. That's and dope. they just made a crazy sounding album, you know. And then once the album was near completion. Just Blaze was executive over it and he was mixing it and doing all that good stuff. Once it was very near completion, the group got on different pages. And once everybody got on a different page, somebody didn't want to go out and promote the album at this time. Somebody didn't want to go and shoot videos. Somebody didn't, you know what I mean? So right. it became a big mess. So the album just was froze for a while. And then, um, you know, while it was in limbo, I was working tirelessly trying to get everything back on track because, see, to me, I understand that Slaughterhouse was needed for hip-hop, 
And I wanted to, you know, make sure the fans got this album because it was a good album. The album before it, a lot of complaints from our core fans. They thought it was too shiny. Mm. They thought it was too, it wasn't gritty enough. They thought Eminem's influence was too, right. you know, it was too much. So we went in and did an entirely new album, you know, in New York, in Harlem. We did the whole album. I moved to New York for like a month. We did the whole Slaughterhouse uh, of Producers thing I just explained, and we made a dope album. Right. And now the album won't see the see the day of light because, uh, you know, we <coughs> have no. It's never coming out unless Shady decides to put it out without having support from the group members. I don't think it's ever gonna come out. You know what I'm saying? That is sad, man. Yeah, it's a great album, man, and uh, you know. Well, Joe Joe Budden's been on record saying he felt like M let y'all down in some ways. Any truth to he felt like y'all didn't get the same marketing, same promotions. Like M could have just picked up the phone and made a call and said, "Hey, do this, do that, do this." Is there well, any truth I, to any of that? I think that M did. I think M he was the fifth member. Just to keep mm -hmm. it real, mm -hmm. he was in the studio for 10, 12 hours at a time working on that album, mm -hmm. and that's where he's most effective at. You know what I'm saying? Because that's where that's he's a mad scientist. He got it from Dre. Like he goes in and he really I don't care if it's gonna take him eight hours on one hook. He's gonna get that hook perfect. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. And he was he was in there putting in just as many man hours as we did. And we went out. You know he we, he did the cover double XL with us. He, he he did radio with us. You know what I mean? He was in two or three videos. I mean, what right. the, what else do you want from the man? I mean, I understand that sometimes certain artists. You got to put your arm around that artist and just really, really just every single day just try to sell that artist. You know what I'm saying? Um, and if if that's the case, I don't know. Maybe that's what Joe is feeling. But uh, when it came to, you know, when it came to Welcome to Our House, the first album on Shady Records, he, M, was like, yo, man, you know what? I'm going to, let's do it different this, next time. You guys go out to New York, y'all do what y'all want to do, y'all. We'll pay for everything. Y'all just create how y'all want to create. Don't worry about my input. Don't worry about nobody else at the label. Go create what you want to create. Because I don't, he, he wasn't satisfied with how the first one went down. Eminem was not. And he gave us the opportunity to fix that. But before it was able to be fixed, the group fell apart. So, you know what I'm saying? And you just never know, bro. I mean, like... I never, I never thought I, that we would ever come back together and make some music. But to be honest with you, it seems like at some point it needs to happen. Yeah, I think at some point it needs to happen, just for the culture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just for the culture, because there's no closure. <clears throat> there's no closure, bro. Yeah. The fans have no closure, man. Like that, that group and that brand is very powerful, and the fans are they have no closure, dog. And it's like, just give them one more. Just give them the album. Who, who do you think is holding this up the most? Is it uh, the label? Is it the members? Is it M? I mean, if you have to put it on one thing, is it? Well, I mean, after Joe came out and heavily criticized M's album, you know what I'm saying, um, Revival. Um, and I talked to Joe about this, you know. What I, was his I, main beef about it? Just He just thought it was whack or he thought it was He thought or? it was whack and he didn't think M was being genuine. When him was, you know, being political and rapping about, you know, equality and police brutality on blacks, he didn't think he said he didn't think him was being genuine or whatever. Okay. So my whole thing was, you know, um, he questioned that. That's what I say. And uh, you know, he didn't like the rollout, so he he said some things about Paul and. Um, you know, Paul Rosenberg, for those who don't know, Paul Rosenberg is Eminem's partner. He co-owns Shady Records with, with Eminem. Right. So he went and, you know, he kind of trashed Paul. He's, he And he was harsh with his language with the M Records. He was like, it's trash. Throw the whole song away. You know, it, it was just very, it was brutal. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, he was speaking from a big platform that he helped build called Everyday Struggle. And, you know... You Do you can, think that was the right move, man? I mean, well, I mean, uh, you know, if to me it's like, yo, I would just say, hey, man, th this album ain't for me, you know, or this song ain't for me. I don't like this song; it's not for me. But you know, whatever. But when you hey, it's trash. Throw the whole thing away and questioning if somebody genuinely wants to see black people stop being brutalized by the police right. and things of that nature. I just think he went too far. Right. You know what I'm saying? I right. think he went too far. And meanwhile, while he's doing that, I'm I'm in the office, 
in New York and and, and flying back and forth to Detroit trying to put a a Band-Aid on the Slaughterhouse brand and Mm -hmm. get everything back on the right track. So once he did that, he kind of just threw a grenade at the whole situation that blew up. You know what I'm saying? So once once that situation blew up, you know, it was what it was. So now... You know, everybody's in a different space now. You know what I'm saying? Right. Everybody's in a different space. He's doing his media thing, you know. Uh, Royce has his own studio that he's very successful, helping people, pro- producing other projects, grooming artists. Labels are sending Royce people to groom and all types wow. of... Wow, Yeah, so, you know, he <coughs> he's doing good. You know what I'm saying? I got Crook's Corner going right now, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? We got like 10, 11th episode. Um, supposed to interview Jeezy today, as a matter of fact. Um, and you know, I'm doing other things in in the, in, the, in the creative world. I mean, I'm I'm on the Wu Tang American Saga. You feel me? <laughs> so you know, what I'm saying everybody working, everybody doing their thing. You know, Joel just dropped the album called Monday, um, and it's just it just seems like it would be a good idea to give everyone closure on that whole situation and just throw the album out but I don't know I think it would take Joe and M patching up some shit and I think uh, you know I think because even if we didn't do it on Shady which you know I would love to do it on Shady Records but if Shady said no we don't want to deal with this then you you, we would have to still, you know, get the music released and all that type of stuff. I was about stuff. to say, man, how much money do you need to get that album out of Shady's hands if they don't want to release it? I, mean, you, I don't think it's much because from what I've been hearing, you know, I don't know how many other producers have even been paid. So other than studio time, flights and all that, man, you know, we know album budgets are, are you know, six figure. So it's not, it's going to be low, 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 low six figure, probably not even, maybe a hundred, maybe, I don't know. Wow. Some some something that's definitely doable for other labels. Like yeah. As soon as they hear Slaughterhouse is released from from a from a contract, they're gonna they're gonna pick up the phone. I like to do it with Shady. I like to do it with M. I I fuck with M heavy. That's right. just what it is. You right. know what I'm saying? Right, right. I mean, he's been in the news lately, you know, Lord Jamar and all right, these right, things right. back and forth and all this, but you know, to me, M and you know, I I rock with Marshall heavy. You know right. what I'm saying? So I would like to finish it finish what we started you know what man I've uh, got a couple of more questions for you man I know RZA gets you know dropped from Tommy Boy back in the day right and in a weird way it kick started Wu-Tang Clan huh. right cause he was like I gotta get to it now I've been through this with Sway we were signed to Warner Brothers thinking this is it mm-hmm. and then one day you go in and you're like this ain't it man like we've been stuck here for two years and the um, we had a record in the Bay Area called Follow For Now that was blowing up, man. Right. I'm, I'm driving to Frisco State, and we're beating Madonna at the top seven at seven. That's wow. how big the record was. We get signed to Warner Brothers. We go to Warner Brothers, and all the promo records have been sitting against this wall for like a year. And, you know, we're like 19, 20 years old trying to figure out what the hell, how does this work? Right. How could we do better ourselves right. than the big, gigantic labels, right? So... <laughs> I know that RZA was dropped from Tommy Boy, and I know that at some point you thought everything was well, and then you got dropped from Virgin when you thought everything was perfect. Right. What did that do to your mindset at that? It's like, you know, similar stories, I guess, but what did you do? It's an emotional roller coaster for an artist, man. You know, you just think one minute you're feeling like, yo, we're about to win the championship, and the next minute you're back home watching somebody else win it. What was your, your, um, I guess... If you can go look back at it, what was the mistake you made with Virgin? I mean, what are, are people around Virgin or your own crew? or? Uh, you know what? They actually um, got rid of the guy who signed me. Oh. You know, and they it's got like rid of... losing your coach and yeah, you're yeah, the quarterback. They, 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 <laughs> yeah, they lost. They, lost they, they actually got rid of the guy who signed me. And everybody who he signed, they were like, yo, you, you guys are free to go. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so it was one of those situations because I had the album done. I was going to do the first single. You know what I'm saying? I had the, the dog pound on my first single. I'm coming out of Long Beach. You know, it's perfect. You know what I mean? Uh, everything was pretty good, man. The album was done. But then, boom, they got rid of dude. You know what I'm saying? And uh, everybody who he signed. So it was like... Now what? But you know what, man? Everything is a lesson, dog. Like, I love it now. I lo- and I love the state of the game, really. It's really, it's just, it's just a patience thing. But 
you don't need a big label. You don't, you know what I mean? So when I got dropped from Virgin, I had to go back to the drawing board. So I start, I went down south and I watched how people were doing stuff. I was down there with uh, Big Hump and uh, from Sucker Free Records and a couple other guys from Dallas who were doing independent moves. And I was watching them and I'm like, look at these guys. They're ma- they making a great living independently. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it gave me ideas like, yo, I could do this myself. You know what I mean? Um, and... That's the whole thing. And when I then I ended up on death row, and it was like, all right, boom. You know, Suge seems like he really believes in me. He's saying that, you know, yo, you're the best guy I've heard. But boom, blah, blah, blah. Boom, we do that. That's that doesn't turn out how I wanted to turn out, and it's right back independent again, shady, independent again. So I just think the universe is telling me that, you know, you got to do this, and you got to do it in a different way. You know what I mean? Everybody's everybody's um, championship ring ain't going to come the exact same way. You know, some people are going to get theirs, you know, with a sweep. They're going to sweep a team and get it. And some people are going to have a hard-fought battle and win it in game seven with, with two seconds on the clock. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's just how life is. So, you know, what I, what I love about the game now is, is that you can really do this stuff yourself, man. The record label is only is only a, a loan. People, if people had their own money at all times, they would never even probably bother going to record labels right now. Their record label just giving you a loan. That's all they're doing. Those dudes in those buildings, they have to. T- they don't know what the hell they are doing, man. You know, they're looking at algorithms and follows, and you know what I'm saying. They <laughs> YouTube video numbers and all that. Dog. I like the pants he's wearing. That man, that could sell right there. And exactly, and man, and then then they wonder why they're not getting these dudes that's doing 10 million sold. You know what I'm saying? 20 million, 50 million. You know, they getting these guys that's doing a hot single, and the single is going. You know, and then you don't hear from the guy again or something like that because you're not going out there and finding the real artists anymore. You're right. sitting at your fucking laptop. looking at numbers on a screen you're not in the club watching the people's energy when they see this new guy who nobody knows about rock the whole place and tear the roof off you know what I'm saying so yeah man all that all that falling off those labels dogs you know they just taught me to think for myself move for myself and understand my value as 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 a person in hip hop you know, I, I say we're we talking about Wu-Tang and American Saga I, I'm streaming on Hulu right now. <clears throat> I got to ask one last question, man, because when I hook up with veterans and, and connoisseurs of hip hop, man, like, like yourself and all that, I got to get your opinion on this, man. What was the big first lyrical shift, in your opinion, the first artist that made it? Go from like, ah, it's a party rap, you know, this, 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 that. No, nah, man, this dude is kind of saying some shit right here. Wait a second. And then it went from, I mean, I know that the, the order of it, you know, when it was like in the Sugar Hill Gang, then uh, Kaz, I, and then Kaz, in. and then uh, Grandmaster Flash, here's yeah. Melly Mel. Um, I think one of the best books is um, Kumo D put out a book, The Top 50 MCs, yeah. There's a God on the Mic, or something like that. Yeah. So most books are eh, ten bucks on Amazon, five bucks used. This book was like ninety nine dollars, and it was made two thousand four. The guy literally went through every MC with every category. It was it was incredible. Mm. So who do you think, in your opinion, was the major shift of going? Ah, this is kind of an art form that's going to be here for a few. Because I remember in the eighties, everybody right. kept telling you it's going away. Yeah, it was a trend. It was a trend. Right. It was a trend. Yeah. So who do you think? Made it where you were like, this ain't a trend, man. Is it was uh, it Run DMC? It was, Run DMC. was it? You I, think I, so? I think it was Run DMC, <clears throat> man. I think Run DMC is what said, oh, you know what? First video on MTV. First, you know, too many firsts. First shoe shoe endorsement deal. Right. First, you know, with the walk this way. You know what I mean? It was right. just so many firsts. Right. That I just like, you know what? Once Run DMC came, it was like, yo, rap is here to stay, man. Rap ain't going nowhere. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. But you know, it was still some naysayers after Run DMC. There was still I was a lot said, of. Do people. you remember the <clears throat> the late '80s where they said it was gonna it was banned from radio and yeah. banned, and it actually helped NWA in a sense because. When people start loving hip hop, they're like, "Well, we can't hear it on radio. We can't hear it in clubs. So this is tape floating around. These dudes are dissing the cops, right? Right? Or this right. and it's like, wait, what tape is that? Yeah. So you think it actually helped NWA in a sense when yeah. it got kind of got banned? For sure. When it got banned, man, they were steamrolling CDs. Churches were putting bands on it. Right. Tipper Gore came with the sticker, you know, PMRC. 
came with the parental advisory sticker and they right. thought that would slow the sales down. That made it more. People wanted them even more because now they got a sticker that says you can't have it so the kids right. wanted it more. Right. Every move they made against hip-hop, it ended up helping hip-hop. It, it just, you know, right. back black backflash, you know, yeah, like, yeah. well, they got it. So it was like backfired, I mean. So, yeah, dog, it's just... They couldn't get rid of it, and it's the reason why, man, because hip-hop is more than music. It's a culture, and not only is it just a culture, it affects how you think, how you talk, how you how you walk, how you dress, right. you know, how you treat other people. It's, 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 um, it, it came through the ghetto and the poor neighborhoods, and it changed the economy. Some people rapped and made money. Some people became managers and made money. Some people opened venues and made money. Some promoted. Some people were DJs. Some people were graph artists. Everybody was starting to make some money off of this culture called hip hop, and, and and it was a do-it-yourself creating something from nothing. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then when you listen to the music, it's like, wait a minute, man. They're conveying about a thousand ideas in three minutes. When you listen to the lyrics of an R&B song, right. you're going to hear the song and they're going to do eight bars right. and then they're going <laughs> to do a, another a hook and then a, and then they might repeat the same eight, eight bars, bars that they did in the, the first yeah. time. But right. the hip hop, you will actually be able to talk to somebody and and and, tr and make their mind travel to 20,000 different places right. in four minutes. Right. You know right. what I mean? Right. So no other music can do that and then right. you know you could take a piece from this music that music this music that music and blend it and make something so it's just too incredible they couldn't stop it man and, yeah. and, and um it was just destined to be what it is the number one genre right now wu-tang definitely helped that you right. know what i'm saying they put in some work to help us to be able to say that right now just right. like the work you put in right. breaking artists that you know what i'm saying eminem like the other day on my instagram when i played the eminem clip you know what right. i'm saying right. he said it right there with his own mouth dr dre heard me on your show king tech exactly so you know that's this this is all this is just the story of hip-hop and it's never gonna stop it's eternal yeah, that's what's up, man. King Crooked, one of my top favorite, uh, top 10 of all time, in my opinion, brother. Thank you, sir. Uh, I don't know who else is on your list, man, but if you listen to this man's catalog, I cannot see, especially with the weeklies you've been putting out, man. Dude, the moment it comes out, I get this crazy text from Revolution. Oh my God, <laughs> this dude did it again. He's like, bro, that's my favorite part of the week. He's like, he's on the net looking for your shit all the time, man. And we played on the Wake Up Show on Shade 45 on the Eminem station. Shout out to Sway. Right, right. Uh, and again, man, thank you for being a part of this, man. I really think that when RZA asked me to help with uh, Wu-Tang American Saga, and I was like, man, the only guy I could really think of calling for the lyrical context of the battles and the songs that you jumped in and out of, man. Much appreciated, and thank you, thank man, you, for man. being a part of this, man. And thanks for having me, dog. And and just one more thing, man. This Wu-Tang thing got me really inspired right now because I got a group with my little brothers, you know, the Horseshoe Gang. Uh -huh. We got a group called Family Business. And watching that Wu-Tang thing and watching those brothers come together as a collective right. and what they have done has really got me super inspired, man, to, to make sure that we can make something happen in this industry to where one day people are going to watch our series. That's you know right. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So that's, that's what's right. up, man. I'm glad to be a part of it. Bro. There it Thanks is. Thanks for having man. me. There it is. Thank you, Chris. Yes, sir. Thank you for being All right. Here. All right, my man. So.